and the eensy weensy spider. And all of a sudden, the fuller brush man senses that there is somebody behind Stop. him. And can you tell me your story? Horses. <gasps> what did the horses do? Rain. We had lots of fun time walking the beach there and like touring the lighthouse. It's time for The Appleseed, a show filled with all kinds of stories for you and your family. Tall tales, fairy tales, folk tales, personal and family tales, and more. Here at The Appleseed, we believe in the power of great stories. A great story can show you how someone else solved a problem you might have. A way to try out solutions, weigh consequences. Stories are great for all kinds of stuff. I'm your host, Sam Payne, and today we've filled the hour with Funny tales that have to do with tyrants and despots. What's a tyrant? What's a despot? The dictionary says they're absolute rulers, especially those who rule with cruelty and oppression. That's what a despot is. That's what a tyrant is. Did you ever look on, oh, I don't know, your high school principal as a tyrant or your gym teacher or the playground bully? We're going to bring you a story from the West Virginia tall tale teller Bill Lepp about a tyrannical principle, and we're going to bring you a fractured fairy tale featuring Hansel and Gretel and a couple of despotic pirates. And, of course, we know that when we say despots and tyrants, we're being a little facetious, a little tongue-in-cheek. There are actual despots, actual tyrants on the world stage. They cause a lot of problems. They're worth talking seriously about. But all of us know the feeling of not being in control, of being subject to the whims of someone that we may not agree with, but who's somehow in charge. All of us know the feeling of being told to do something by someone who has more power than us and with whom we don't really agree. There's an expression you might know. It's voluntold. You might use it in a sentence like this. I was voluntold by my mother to show up at the church service project. Or I was voluntold by my boss to dress up in the company mascot costume and stand on the corner and wave a sign, even though it's 90 degrees outside. Voluntold is a made-up word, of course, but it means you're expected to take on extra duties without being consulted and expected to just take your marching orders and perform like a good soldier. Asked once or twice to do that, and you might pull together because you're on a team that needs your help. But six or seven times, and you might come to resent the person in charge and wonder if mutiny is a plausible option. Well, our funny stories today talk about how people work under or around or against those in charge when they feel like they don't have any alternatives. Whether you're outsmarting the unpopular school principal by having him read silly announcements... At the half-dollar swimming pool, there will be water polo tryouts. Life jackets will be provided, but you need to bring your own horse. <laughs> Bill Lepp with one of the stories we're going to hear today. Or you need to escape from lazy, narcissistic pirate caretakers in a fractured fairy tale fantasy. Our pirates... Uh Parents are going to take us out tomorrow and leave us to perish in the woods. Perish in the woods? Perish in the woods! What do we do, Hansel? <laughs> Our fractured version of Hansel and Gretel, the old tale, coming up later this hour. We think you'll recognize the characters here because when mutiny isn't an option, sometimes we resort to plain old hijinks and practical jokes to make our unhappiness obvious. Here's tall tale teller Bill Lepp with a story that features his hometown pals Skeeter, Charolais, and Ferndale and their mutinous relationship with the half dollar high school principal. Thank you. When I was uh, about 16 years old, my friend Ferndale asked me if I wanted to go to Beckley to get a burger. Now, Beckley was a long way from Half Dollar West Virginia, but so it was a long way to go to get a burger. But I was 16, and Ferndale was beautiful. So... <laughs> I said, sure. And we got in her car and we headed over to Beckley. And I noticed that in the back seat of her car, there were some walkie-talkies. And I asked her what those walkie-talkies were for. And she said, don't worry about it. I have a plan. Now, she was a lot like my buddy Skeeter when it came to having a plan. <clears throat> the main difference between Skeeter's plans and Fern's plans is Fern's plans usually had some sort of solid exit strategy. Where <laughs> Skeeter's just stopped when we got caught. And so... <laughs> 
I didn't ask, ask her anything more about it. And we got to Beckley. We pulled into the parking lot at the Burger King. We pulled in beside Skeeter's pickup truck on the passenger side of Skeeter's pickup truck. And Skeeter's girlfriend, Charlay, uh, I feel I should explain that. Uh, Charlay's father was Angus Fester, and Angus Fester was a mean old dairy farmer. But he loved cattle so much that he had named all of his children after different breeds of cattle. And so there was Angus Jr., and there was Hefer, uh, Hereford, Guernsey, Holstein, and then Jersey, and Beefalo. And, uh, oh, and Guernsey. And uh, 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 Guernsey and Beefalo were the twins, which is weird, because you'd think... Jersey and Gersey would be the twins. But anyway, when uh, Helen, Angus's uh, wife, finally had a girl, uh, she, Helen knew that Angus was going to name the poor girl after a breed of cattle. So she said, at least make it sound feminine. And that's where Charlay Fester got her name. So anyway, uh, Fern leaned over and handed one of the walkie-talkies to Charlay, and she said to Skeeter, you go get in the drive through lane at the Burger King. We're going to go get in the drive through lane at the Wendy's, and when you get there, hold out your walkie-talkie to the microphone, and I'll give you a signal. Now, you have to understand that in our little town there, we had this guy that had gone off sometime in the mid-50s, gone out to California, sort of the beatnik movement, and he'd hooked up with the Grateful Dead, and he'd become a sound man for the Grateful Dead, and had spent the next several decades making a lot of money doing that, and when he got tired of that, he came back to Half Dollar West Virginia, where he was just going to retire. But he got bored pretty quick, and so he donated enough money to our high school to build a state-of-the-art recording studio, audio and visual. And that credentialed him to be a teacher. And <laughs> he had this wonderful, wonderful teaching philosophy. He never taught you anything that you didn't want to know. And that's more difficult than it seems. And Fern wanted to know everything. So she had learned all about wiring and splicing tape and shooting tape and, you know, recording just everything. And so she had these walkie-talkies, and she told me, she said, now these are pretty neat. I rewired them so that you don't have to press the button to send and let go of the button to receive. She said you can just press the button and you can receive and send at the same time. She said it's sort of like a telephone. And I was sitting there, holding that walkie-talkie in my hand, thinking to myself, wouldn't that be something if you could just carry a telephone <laughs> wherever you went? And so uh, we pulled into the Wendy's drive-thru, uh, just as Skeeter and Charlay were getting to the Burger King drive-thru, and Charlay held her walkie-talkie out to the microphone at the drive-thru, and Skeeter held his out. And uh, what we heard was the Wendy's lady said, uh, welcome to Wendy's, would you like to try Dave's Double? And the guy at Burger King said, Dave's not here. <laughs> and I don't think he's working a double. And the lady at Wendy's said, so one Dave's double? And the guy at Burger King said, I said Dave's not here. And, and so the lady at Wendy's said, uh, well, okay, one root beer, and you don't have to scream. And the guy at Burger King said, so one ice cream. Uh, and the lady at Wendy's said, we don't have ice cream, we just have Frosties. And the guy at Burger King said, if you want a Frosty, you gotta go to Wendy's. And the lady at Wendy's said, this is Wendy's. And the guy at Burger King said, well, Wendy's Dave's not here, but I'll tell him you stop by. And so by that time, we were laughing, so we went to McDonald's. And then we went home because it was a school night. And our, uh, when we got to school in the mornings, we would go in our homeroom, and then we'd sit there for a few minutes, and then the loudspeaker would come on, and the principal of our high school would start the announcements every morning the exact same way. He would say, this is Dr. Hoonfoos. That's not his real name. That's my made-up German for dogfoot. Um, <laughs> he would say, this is Dr. Hoonfoos, principal of Half Dollar High School, just in case we'd forgotten who he was <laughs> since the last announcement. And then he would do a series of announcements, and then he would always sign off by saying, this has been... Dr. Hoonfoos, in case we had forgotten during the announcements, principal of Half Dollar High School. So he came on and he did the announcements one morning. Now the thing about Dr. Hoonfoos was um, he was this person who, uh, he had this, well, he could have been, like he missed his calling. He could have been a despot of some third world country, like, you know, the despotic ruler, or, or the, the warden of a corrupt jail system. But he had had the misfortune of going into public school administration. So... 
Uh, he nobody really liked him at the school, and he so he would read these his his messages, and then he would go away. Uh, but he he almost always just read them, and when he did, because uh, he wasn't the kind of person that you could depend on to think for himself. And when he did think for himself, it usually went pretty badly. Like one time he got on and he said, "This is Dr. Hoonfoos, principal of Half Dollar High School. Uh, there's been a terrible accident on the east side of the high school. Nobody look out the window." <laughs> And you can just feel the entire school shift in that direction. So we were sitting there at lunch one day, and it was myself, Skeeter, Charlay, and Ferndale. And Skeeter said to Fern, you know what, I don't think Dr. Hoonfoos ever pre-reads any of the announcements that he makes. And Fern, who worked in the office as her service hour, she said, no, he doesn't. He'll read anything. He never proofreads it beforehand. Why? And Skeeter said, well, I was just thinking that, you know, maybe we could slip a message into the basket, just whatever, and he'd read it. And Fern said, yeah, he will, so, you know, I can get that in the basket, but nothing profane, nothing dirty. So we went home that night, and the next morning, uh, Skeeter handed in his announcement, and when the announcement started, uh, Dr. Hoonfoos said, this is Principal uh, Hoonfoos, Dr. Hoonfoos, Principal of Half Dollar High School, and then he said various and sundry announcements, and then he said, uh, this afternoon... At the half-dollar swimming pool, there will be water polo tryouts. Life jackets will be provided, but you need to bring your own horse. <laughs> this has been Dr. Hoonfoos, principal of half-dollar high school. Well, everybody thought it was hilarious. The teachers thought it was hilarious. You know, no troops of a despot don't respect their leader. And so... <laughs> It was just great. And then uh, after a couple hours, Fern came running up to Skeeter and I, and she said, listen, I heard Mrs. Doberstein. Uh, you can believe that was her name if you want to. But there's, we've known each other a while now. There's no reason to believe that. Uh, but Mrs. Doberstein was the only teacher in the whole high school who liked Dr. Hoonfoo. She had some kind of weird power crush on him. And Fern had heard uh, Mrs. Doberstein trying to talk Dr. Hoonfoos into believing that what he said wasn't true. Because uh, Dr. Hoonfoos had this wonderful ability to believe anything that he heard himself say. Because he thought he was a genius, and so when something came out of his mouth and made it back to his ears, he thought, wow, that's genius. And so you couldn't convince him that something wasn't true. But Mrs. Doberstein was trying to convince him that maybe this water polo thing wasn't real, and Fern was worried about it, and Skeeter said, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it. And we walked down to the office. Now, when you came in the front doors of our school, like in a lot of schools, you came straight in the front doors, and then just to the left side was the office door, and just past the office door, there was uh, one of those windows that, you know, is in the interior of the building, maybe four by four with the chicken wire inside of it, and that's so that the staff in the office can look out into the hallway, because high schools are essentially zoos, so I think <laughs> those windows are there for the entertainment of the office staff. And then just on the other side of that window, there was a payphone. Well, Skeeter went down and he picked up the payphone. He stayed where they couldn't see him out the window. He leaned to the side, and Fern and I stood in the doorway so that we could hear what was going on both in the office and on the payphone. And Skeeter dialed the high school, and Jane, the receptionist, picked up, and she said, this is Jane at Half Dollar High School. How can I help you? And Skeeter said, yeah, Jane, listen, this is Tommy. Uh, can you put Dr. Hoonfoos on the phone? Now, Tommy was the manager at the swimming pool. And uh, so Dr. Hoonfoos came on the phone, and Skeeter said, uh, Dr. Hoonfoos, yeah, listen, this is Tommy down at the pool. I have a note that you called me. And she, uh, Dr. Hoonfoos said, I, I, I called you? And Tommy said, well, I have a note that said you did. And Dr. Hoonfoos said, well, then I must have. Uh, <laughs> does it say what I called about? And Skeeter said, yeah, it says that you called about the water polo tryouts. And he said, well, then I must have called about the water polo tryouts. And Skeeter said, yeah, listen, uh, I got bad news about that. He said, uh, we've been having some problems down at the pool. There's something wrong with the hydrator. Um, we can't get the water buoyant enough, wet enough, to make it buoyant enough to float the horses. Uh, <laughs> So unless we can get the hydrator working again, I don't think we're going to be able to have the water polo tryouts. And by this time, Skeeter was starting to laugh a little bit, and Fern could see that that was going to go wrong. So she kind of reached over and patted him on the arm and said, you know, hang up, I'll get us out of this. And so Skeeter said, oh, I got to go, Dr. Hoonfoos. There's an emergency down at the pool. And Dr. Hoonfoos said, what's the emergency? And Skeeter said, the pool's on fire. <laughs>
And Dr. Hoonfu said, how can the pool be on fire? It's made out of water. And Skeeter said, I told you there's something wrong with the hydrator. And, <laughs> and he hung up the phone. And so then Fern walked into the office. Now, Fern was one of those people. Uh, I'm sure there's some of you in this room. Uh, Fern was one of those people who was just so self-assured and so competent and so confident that no one ever thought that she was up to any good. And therefore, she could get away with anything. And the only people that recognize those attributes in other people are the people who share those attributes. Uh, so when Fern walked into the office, Jane, who was the receptionist, saw her coming, and Jane was exactly the same way that Fern was, and they got along very well. So Fern uh, walked around the desk, picked up a piece of typing paper, fed it into the typewriter, uh, and then he, she started to type, and when she got done, she pulled the paper out of the typewriter, and she handed it to Dr. Hoonfoos, who was still standing there, staring at the phone. <laughs> and Fern said, uh, Dr. Hoonfoos, Tommy from the pool just called me, uh, and he asked me to give you this message to read. And Dr. Hoonfoos said, well, how could Tommy call you? He said the pool was on fire. And Fern said, yeah, he got the hydrator working. They put the fire out. And so... Dr. Hoonfoos took the message and he went over to the loudspeaker and he picked it up and he began to read. This is Dr. Hoonfoos, principal of Half Dollar High School. Uh, I have some very disappointing news. There's uh, something wrong at the pool. We may have to postpone the water polo tryouts. However, if you brought your horse to school, you are permitted to keep it in your locker overnight. <laughs> This has been Dr. Hoonfoos, principal of Half Dollar High School. And that is the sort of lame ending of that story. Thank you. That was Bill Lepp with his story, Dr. Hundfus. Dr. Hundfus sounds pretty oblivious to what's happening around him. And if we want to learn anything from this story, it might be how not to end up like Dr. Hundfus. In just a moment, we're going to bring in our producers, Brian and Heather, for a little talkback about that story, followed by a fractured fairy tale featuring two siblings you may have heard of, but with pirates as the villains. You won't want to miss a word. I'm Sam Payne. We just had an opportunity to hear a story from Bill Lepp, the great West Virginia tall tale teller. Fun to be in the Appleseed studio with Bill and, of course, with our terrific studio audience as well. And uh, it's time to talk a little bit about that story. And I'm joined around the desk by the producers of the Appleseed, Dr. Brian Tanner and Dr. Heather Bigley. Guys, thanks for joining me. Hey, great to be here. Hello. So where does a story like the story of Dr. Hundfus uh, take you? Something that really stuck with me in describing Dr. Hundfus is the, the fact that if he heard it out of his own mouth, yeah. he's like, well, I said it, and I'm credible, yes. so therefore it must be true. You know, I'm like, I hope I don't go around the world like this. <laughs> I hope people don't think this of me, you know. <laughs> I think especially if you're in a leadership position, right? I I was the principal of a high school. Mm. Mm -hmm. And uh and 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 so when I when I hear the story of Dr. Hunfus, I'm thinking, oh good heavens, <laughs> what was that me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. And I think it's I I think for me it makes more sense now why people do what they do. Like these teenagers it's not necessarily malicious. It really is amusing to them, and it is a small prank that they pull. Uh, but I used to always be scared by pranks, you know, like, um, golly, I hope no one ever does anything like that to me. Mm -hmm. And now I understand, well, it is a way of sort of negotiating with someone that you who doesn't give you the time of day, who doesn't, like, look at you and see you as a person or, or sort of, you know, think, oh, what— what might they need? And so it's like this attempt to say, hey, I'm here and I have I have power too. That's how I've started thinking about it. Since that's how you started story. thinking about pranking. Yeah, since the story. Like, oh, that's a way of saying I'm here. Pay attention a little bit, hmm. you know. 
always pay attention, Brian. <laughs> I mean, I don't like to prank. A prank could I'm be not a my pranker. Way. I'm not a pranker, yeah. but, you know. <laughs> a memory that came up for me um, was a time when I, I thought that I was just doing a joke, and then it turns out, uh-oh. Oh, no. <laughs> not everyone understood that this was a joke. Um, a friend of mine um, from business school was so excited he— uh, got a job interview with GM, General Motors. Um, and he was interviewing with some of the folks out in Michigan uh, where their headquarters are. And I said, oh, you know what? I used to live in Michigan. And um, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a tip. You know, out in Michigan, where GM's from, everybody, nobody there calls it GM. They call it GUM. You know, <laughs> oh, no. and oh, everybody boy. just started laughing, you know, and, and and I just thought like, ha, 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 you knew that it was a joke, you know. So he came back like a week later and he's like, I had like a practice interview with somebody from GM and they were really, really confused when I kept saying gum. Oh, boy. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, my mind flashed to that because, I, I, I mean, sometimes— you know, when you're just doing something in the spirit of fun, if people don't understand that that's what you're doing, oh, yes. it, it could turn into problems. Yeah. Yeah. I I had a friend go out of his way and get me sort of, not necessarily an interview. He's like, look, there's this job um, on Broadway. You would run the ticket booth for <laughs> one of these major houses. Mm -hmm. And I just graduated from college and I like had no prospects because I'd been a film student. So <laughs> I was like, great, thank you so much. And I wrote a resume and, you know, the objective line, which I always thought was silly, I wrote to sell to sell t-shirts to fund the revolution. They're theater people, right? Uh -huh. It's all—no. I, like, nearly lost a friendship with this person because oh, wow. they were so embarrassed oh, wow. that I had chosen this moment to show what a wit to I was. To tell a joke. Uh -huh. Yep. Yeah. And I, he didn't talk to me for months. And um, I, yeah, I had to apologize profusely. And, you know, when I started teaching resume writing, uh, it was, it's the one story I tell again and again. Don't mm -hmm. ever mm -hmm. make a joke. Not the place to joke around. Not the place to tell a joke. Did you get mm -hmm. the gig? Oh, not at all. They didn't even call me back. <laughs> like, you know. Uh, it was embarrassing. Lesson learned. Yep. <laughs> well, the story of Dr. Hundfus brought to mind for me a memory that I'd like to share as today's entry in the Radio Family Journal. The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it. On the Appleseed. Chances are, no matter where your life has taken you so far, you've had some good leaders and some bad leaders, some tyrants and despots, and also some leaders you really like. It's easy to tell the difference. The bad ones make you feel like you're being dragged by your ear through whatever duties you have. The good ones, though, they inspire you under their leadership. You feel great about digging in and doing your share because you love being part of the team under that great leader's leadership. They're also kind of rare, those good ones. Today, here's one that I remember. Everyone has a thing. Mine is heights. I'm a first-class acrophobe, afraid of heights since I was a little kid. Thing is, I love to live in the world, and sometimes things in the world are high, so I've got to manage it. I want to descend the canyons and cross the bridges and hike the ranges, see the views. What would living in the world be without some of those things? But yeah, it's tricky. I'm caught between getting dizzy and trembly in high places and not wanting to miss out on experiences that are worth having simply because of my phobia. And what it means is that every once in a while I find myself in a situation like the situation in which I found myself with a bunch of colleagues one late summer day hiking in Zion National Park in southern Utah. It was a work retreat, and we were hiking the Pine Creek Canyon Trail. Again, tricky for someone like me. There are parts of the trail down which you have to rappel on ropes, and the hike culminates in a hundred-foot free-hanging rappel to the canyon floor. I know, I get it. Some of you eat 100-foot rappels for breakfast. And to you, I say, jump in the lake. A 100-foot fall will kill you, even on a good day. And for folks like me, well, let's just say it's plenty. 
The little rappels along the path were not a big deal. I mean, my heights thing isn't so bad that I can't take a rope down 10 or 15 feet of cliff to find the soft dirt trail again at the bottom. And there were a half dozen or more of those as we went along. And I got through it all partly because I was in the company of a good leader. Let's call him Carl. Carl had hiked this canyon a hundred times. He knew where the tricky places in the trail were. He knew where the bolts were to tie in for a rappel. He had even been with guys like me, guys who were inexperienced and nervous dozens of times, maybe hundreds of times. And I knew he could imagine how I was feeling. And I looked to him when I needed instruction or when I had questions. And I was doing pretty well. But then, finally... We came to it, the big rappel at the end of the hike, down an enormous open chamber to the canyon floor a hundred feet below. It kind of sneaks up on you, to tell you the truth, <laughs> on that trail, and you wait in line for your turn, and then you clip into the rope and lower yourself through a kind of partial ceiling down through this enormous cathedral of stone. Your voice echoing off these enormous cliffs, or that's what you're supposed to do. I kind of hung back, to tell you the truth. I wanted to see a few people do it before I went to the edge myself. And one by one, my other friends and colleagues disappeared. I could hear them laughing with exhilaration as they descended down their ropes. And then, finally, it was my turn. Lucky for me, Carl was on it. He stood just above the bolt from which hung the rope on which I'd descend. His feet were braced against a couple of solid rocks. And as I approached the edge, he knew that it was going to be tricky for me to look down. He said he got that. He told me, instead, to look directly at him as I secured myself to the rope and to keep looking at him as I began to lower myself. And that's what I did. I locked my eyes on Carl, the expert. After all, he'd gotten me this far, right? And down I went. I was 20 or 30 feet down the rope, maybe, when I finally took my eyes off my leader and began to look around. Hanging there in that open space was, indeed, thrilling. Hollering out in exhilaration in that enormous chamber of rock was unforgettable. I'm so glad I had that experience. I arrived on the canyon floor safely and filled with the euphoria that comes with doing stuff like that. And it wasn't the last time I'd ever do something like that. Though I can't believe I'm saying it, I actually think there's plenty of that kind of thing in my future. And as I engage with stuff against which my fears cry out, I'm always glad to have a good leader to talk me through it, someone who inspires me, someone on whom I can fix my eyes, someone I know won't let me fall. The Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne, a tiny little story for you and your family, right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining me for that entry in the Radio Family Journal and a pleasure to talk about the Bill Lepp story, Dr. Hundfus, with uh, Heather Bigley and Brian Tanner, the producers of The Appleseed. Guys, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Hey, it was fun. to stories about petty tyrants. We heard from tall tale teller Bill Lepp about high school principal Dr. Hundfus. And next up, we have a reader's theater presentation, a fractured fairy tale version of the good old story of Hansel and Gretel. This one we're calling Hansel and Gretel and Pirates. And it's performed and recorded in front of our fantastic studio audience right here in the Appleseed Studio. We are not good people. 
as lovely to look at as we may be. We may as well establish that right here from the beginning. We're murderous scoundrels. Barbarous fiends. Wrathful, slovenly. Profane, desperate. Dentally challenged. Pulchritudinous. Oh, thank you. What do you mean, thank you? Well, pulchritudinous means beautiful. I, I didn't know you cared. <laughs> the point is, we're swashbuckling pirates both. Yes, swashbuckling pirates. Cleverly disguised. We're telling you this because we realized that we're not the villains you expected to see in the story of Ansel and Gretel. You see, among the villains of the story of Ansel and Gretel, traditionally speaking, are two heartless parents who leave their children to perish in the woods. It's true. You see, in the story, the mother of the two young but stalwart children finding the cupboards bare convinces her husband to abandon the youngsters in the woods in order to hoard more food for themselves. The husband spinelessly agrees and leads the children deep into the forest at the mercy of wild beasts. But... Predictably, the children find a magical cottage made of sweets. A paradise of carbohydrate-rich edibles. Inhabited, of course, by a witch who eats children. <laughs> but best in the witch, the children return home to find their evil mother deceased by unexplained causes. Uh, which is good news. She was the bad one. And they all live happily ever after. The children, somehow convinced that the weak-minded father who left them in the woods to perish, has borne up under the experience and reformed, once out from under the thumb of his lovely but wicked spouse. <laughs> Frankly, we're sceptical. And since we're sort of pro-parents round here, we thought we'd replace those nasty-wasties with a couple of ubiquitous and cartoonish felons like ourselves. Easy to hate, we too. After all, one has only to look out over the lovely and virtuous parents in our audience to render such a tale as Hansel and Gretel starkly unbelievable. Those twinkling eyes, those generous smiles, it's... Pulchritudinous. Pulchritudinous. <laughs> of course, if you are a heartless parent inclined to leave your children to perish in the woods, then you've no reason to take offense at this production. It's certifiably PC. If, however, you're a bloodthirsty swashbuckling pirate who takes offense at broad pirate stereotypes... Then we'll rip your limb from limb! We'll boil you in oil! We'll keelhaul ya! And then... We'll politely refund your ticket price with our apologies, but it's true. <laughs> We'd as soon skewer the lot of you as to tell you the story you're about to hear. And we would too! Yeah! 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come on, Gretel. <laughs> Shh! The children. Oh, these are our children. After a life of bloodthirsty plunder on the high seas, we two buccaneers decided to settle down. This villain poses as a kindly old mother figure. And this villain poses as a benevolent fatherly woodcutter. And we nick these kids from the local orphanage to wash our socks and chop our wood. And so our story begins. Children! Hansel, such a strong, intelligent, hard-working, well-spoken child. Thank you, Father. Gretel, such a kind, forward-thinking, industrious, visionary child. Thank you, Mother. So, how's your day been, children? Well, between 7.30 and 8, we chopped enough wood for the entire winter. Between 8 and 9, we plowed the 160 acres to the south of our small farm. Between 9 and 11, we built a washing machine out of spare bicycle parts and used it to wash your socks between 11 and 12. Then we took a 15-minute lunch. From 12.15 to 1.45, we balanced your checkbook. Then we spent a couple of hours digging the swimming pool you asked for. At four, we painted our hovel, and at five, waterproofed the old pirate ship that for some mysterious reason you keep in the barn. And now we're ready for bed. Oh, pirate ship? Oh, don't, don't be absurd. It's a... Uh, uh, an inflatable... Uh, an inflatable pool toy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now off to bed, good, kind children. Good night. Good night. 
I told you we should have burned the ship. Mm. This isn't working out. You're not kidding. After all, a 15-minute lunch? A 15-minute lunch. Lazy children. What's a bloodthirsty, self-interested, false parent to do? Nothing for it but to take the kids out tomorrow and leave them to perish in the woods. Perish in the woods? Perish in the woods. Then we'll find some kids who can really work. (laughs) (laughs) You know what would be really funny? Imagine turning round to find one of the little ones listening in on this whole conversation. (laughs) Psst! Gretel! Gretel! What is it? I happened to get up for a glass of water, and I heard a nefarious plan. Our pirates, uh, parents, are going to take us out tomorrow and leave us to perish in the woods. Perish in the woods? Perish in the woods! What do we do, Hansel? Oh, children, it's time for an outing! Where are we going? We're going to the woods. Oh, boy, an outing to the woods with our pirates, uh... Our papa and our mama. (laughs) Of course, we'll bring a picnic of a slice of bread each. Hey, where's the bread? I could have sworn there were a couple of slices of bread in this basket here. It's gone? It's gone? Ah, no matter, children. Uh, We also brought... An axe! For chopping wood. But we've chopped enough wood for the whole winter already. Oh, the axe isn't for you. It's for us. We're just going over here to chop some wood. Uh, For fun. (laughs) To chop wood. For fun. (laughs) Are you sure you're not going to take Mother by the hand and run back to our tiny farm as part of your evil plan to leave Gretel and I alone to perish in the woods? Perish in the woods? Perish in the woods. (laughs) Of course not, dear boy. We're just going over here to... Chop wood! <laughs> For fun! Yes, children! Now, run along and play! What are we going to do now, Hansel? Our Pyra... I mean, parents have left us here to perish in the woods! Perish in the woods? Perish in the woods! How are we going to get out of here? I, I don't know. I had a plan, you know. The single slice of bread each that they prepared for our picnic, I dropped a trail of breadcrumbs, but the woodland animals ate them even as I watched. Ate them?! I thought we were on the same team! Oh, it's no good crying. Oh, come on. Let's find the way home. Wait a minute. I remembered a lovely flower here. Not this fuzzy mushroom. I remembered a fluffy bunny here. Not this prickly hedgehog. We're lost. We're bound to perish in the woods. Perish in the woods. Perish in the woods. Hansel! 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 What? What's that smell? Oh, it must be them. Our pirates? Or our parents? No, it's something sweet. I bet it's a meadow full of sweet flowers. I bet it's a bush full of wild berries. It's probably just a cottage made of pastries and candy. Come on. Lucky guess? Do you think it's safe to eat? Hmm. A choice between perishing in the woods at the mercy of wild beasts and perishing from delicious, if possibly unsanitary, outdoor yummies. We'll take our chances. Um, at the risk of mucking up the storyline... Pardon us while we interrupt for a moment. At this juncture, it would do to explain our presence here. It's complicated, so stay with us. Actually... We're back at home, the woodpile shrinking and our socks getting dirtier by the minute. There's no one in this here magic house but an evil old witch who lures unsuspecting children to her woodland lair, only to fatten them with sweets and cook them for supper. But since the witch is, like us, villainous, we pirates will do the witch's lines. I mean, we pirates might as well do all the villainy lines in the story, right? Right. (laughs) Not because we wish to confuse you, but that in hearing our voices during the witchy parts, you might transfer to the witch the same negative feelings that you've already engendered for us. That the witch, through our efforts, might exude the malice, the cruelty, the criminality, the mischief, the aura of evil that you've come to know 
know and love in us. Uh, but anon, the first of the witch's lines. <clears throat> Who is nibbling at my little house? Did you hear that? Hmm? Nibble, hear what? nibble, no. That. Mm. Nope. <clears throat> Who is nibbling at my little house? Hear it now? Yeah, I do. Who is that with their faces full of gooey goodness? Uh, the wind? What nice, clever children come to visit me in my lonely little woodland cottage. Why do I suddenly have a sense of malice and cruelty? Criminality, mischief. An, an aura of, of evil, evil perhaps? perhaps? Yes, an aura of evil. Oh, nonsense, children. I'm nothing but a friendly old dolly living in a friendly house made of gingerbread, hoping to share the bountiful goodness with sweet young visitors like yourselves. Sweet young visitors? Bountiful goodness? What a relief. We were almost ready to believe that you were an evil old witch who lures unsuspecting children to her woodland lair only to fatten them with sweets and cook them for supper. Imagine that. What a notion! Sweet young visitors, she said. Mm-hmm. Bountiful goodness, she said. Mm-hmm. Oh, how did we ever get ourselves into this? How was I supposed to know she was an evil old witch who lures unsuspecting children to her woodland lair only to fatten them with sweets and cook them for supper? Hindsight's twenty-twenty, I suppose. Oh, Hansel, we've been here for days and days. What's going to become of us? Gretel, have you stopped sweeping? Oh, no. I'm sweeping my little heart out. She's blind as a bat, can't see her hand in front of her crooked nose, but she sure can hear. We're never going to get out of here. Dear girl, I want this floor to be clean enough to eat off of. I'm working on it. Once you've finished, there's a winter's worth of wood to be chopped. Then I'd like you to plow the 400 acres to the north of the cottage. After that, I've got some spare bicycle parts that I'd like you to use to build a washing machine. After all, you must wash all my socks before 12. Why? What's a 12? A 20-minute lunch! 20 minutes? Better than my last job. Well, I don't know how you could sensibly swallow six stacks of pancakes, a jug of root beer, a roast turkey, a pan of brownies, and a large milkshake in anything less than 20 minutes. You might get a stomachache, and we wouldn't want that now, would we? It might ruin your appetite for dinner. What's for dinner? Salad. Followed by a heaping plate of deep-fried candy bars! <laughs> we need to make a plan, sis. Only the witch has the key to the cage. I'm stuck here. It's all somehow got to be up to you. Oh, Hansel, I don't know what to do. You've got to think of something. The witch is fattening me up to pop me in the oven. Hansel, I think you are getting chubbier. Oh, no. You're not helping. The point is, once I'm cooked and eaten, you're next. I need time to think. Oh, children. <gasps> Back to work. I'll try and buy some time. Oh, just a little something to tide you over until lunch. Really? You shouldn't have. Of course I should have. Eating too little would be unhealthy, you know. Oh, I assure you, I'm in good health. I hardly need all this. I'm not talking about your health, Mr. Skinny. I'm talking about mine. If you don't eat, you won't plump enough to make more than a mouthful. You don't want me to waste away now, do you? Don't be inconsiderate, boy. Whatever could I have been thinking? Tell me, child. I can't see well. Have I remembered to put a cherry on top of each cupcake? Everyone? Oh, splendid. Then stuff your cheek, little one. And you, dear dumpling, soon it'll be just you and me. You and me? Well, you and me and the oven. <laughs> but for now, what'll it be? Can I bring you a tankard of maple syrup? A bowl of peanut butter? A dozen monstrous glazed donuts? Um, not while I'm working. Are you sure? 
You could sweep with one hand and fill the other with gumdrops, couldn't you? I really should keep both hands on my work. Nonsense. I'll go and get you some sustenance. Sustenance? Food, girl! French fries, oysters, prunes, ham, jam, macaroons, pancakes, peanut butter, fried eggs. Uh, fried eggs. Uh, what rhymes with peanut butter? Uh, fried <gasps> peanut butter. Fried, uh. What to do? Uh, I don't know. Hansel? What? Cupcakes help me think. We've got to get rid of those. Oh, children. She's, She's coming. coming. How about a lovely real fruit smoothie, dearest? A fruit smoothie? Well, that actually sounds healthy. Oh, yes. I started off with three fresh strawberries. Yes. And then added a ripe banana. Yes. And then, just to put the tiniest bit of an edge on the flavor... Yes. I added a quart of fudge ripple ice cream. No. Yes, and then a half dozen chocolate donuts and a half gallon of buttercream frosting. Oh, no. What was that? I mean... Thank you. I'm sure I'll love it. Very well, then. I'll bring it out in a moment. Uh, uh, what about you, then? Finished? <laughs> finished. Oh, pity my eyes. How can I tell you finished? Ah, the lovely sound of an empty plate. It was delicious. Oh, you really think so? Yes, quite. It really is a shame, seeing as how you'll be the main course, that you won't be able to taste it. <laughs> Boy pie is my absolute speciality. Oh, shame. In fact, talking about it is making me ravenous beyond my power to contain myself. The time must be approaching. Come, hold out your arm, boy. I want to test it for plumpness. Sure. Uh, feel this stick. I mean, my arm. What do you think, witch? Am I almost ready? Ready? Your arm is as thin as a skeleton's. I don't understand it. Oh, downright baffling. At this rate, it'll be months before he's plump enough to eat. I don't think I can wait anymore. I'm going to go start a nice hot fire in the oven. I think this is it, Hansel. So what's your next plan? Plan? Yes, plan. Your next brilliant idea for saving our skins from that evil witch... I'm fresh out. Then there's nothing for it but to... Burst into sorrowful tears. Oh, oh my lovelies. Weeping with the sheer joy of having eaten well. Gretel? Yes? Would you please prepare the oven? Do I have to? Oh, yes. Oh. Gretel, uh, could you go and check to see that the oven is all toasty-woasty for our next activity? Do I have to? Oh, yes! <laughs> Hang on, Hansel. I've got an idea. Oh, dearest witch, I don't know how to check to see if the oven's hot enough. What do you mean you don't know how to check to see if the oven's hot enough? I mean, with all the chopping wood and washing socks that we did for our pirates and with all the sweeping up and eating sweets that we've done here, I never learned how to check an oven. How nonsense, dear girl! It's not nonsense at all. The truth is, my sister's not that bright. At home, we called her Gretel Goofball because she was so dunderheaded. Dunderheaded? Oh, yes. Once, my sister was so dumb that she mistook an inflatable pool toy in the barn to be a real live pirate ship. She's so dumb that she once darned the wood and chopped the socks. She's almost as dumb as those two pirates we used to live with. Hey! She's so dunderheaded that... Enough! You're not helping! The short version of it is, I'm not sure if I can manage checking the oven by my widow old cell. Oh, listen, girl, I'm famished. You better check that oven and check it right now! Don't know how. Check it! Don't know how. Check it! Don't know how. Yes! Can't. Yes! Can't. Yes! Can't! Ah. Must I always do everything around here? It's this simple. Open the oven. Now stick your head in and feel the toasty warmth of the already to bake oven insides. Yeah. <laughs> Gretel, you did it! I sure did! 
get you out of that cage. Huh. The magic of the cage must have lasted only as long as the witch did. I'm free! Now we can find our way home! Home? Are you kidding? We've got a cottage made of food, a forest full of friendly woodland creatures, and no more witch! Why would we go home? I can only think of one reason. So, Ansel and Gretel beat the witch at her own game. Surprised to hear from us? <laughs> I mean, after we were just thrown into the oven. Well, that, of course, was the witch who was thrown into the oven. We pirates are actually safely at home, remember? Try to keep up. So Hansel and Gretel beat the witch in her own game. Proven that they were not to be trusted any further than they could be thrown. And then they returned to their pirates. I mean, parents. As for why the children returned home? They found that they simply couldn't live without their dear parents, or pirates. How's the laundry coming, me buccaneers? Well, we were hoping we could take a 15-minute lunch. The children kept the pirate ship, too and kept it in a gingerbread barn behind the house. After all, it was a real pirate ship. And they swashbuckling pirates both. And the moral of our tale rather tall? To him who mischief seeks shall mischief fall. There comes an hour that recompenses all. Arr. That was Hansel and Gretel and Pirates, starring Ben Butters as Hansel, Justine Kitteringham as Gretel, Anthony Buck as Pirate Number 1, and, well, me, Sam Payne, as Pirate Number 2. It was a lot of fun. Hansel and Gretel had a handful of tyrants and despots to outwit and evade in that story. Of course, we all have to come up with ways to work with or around those in our lives who seem a little bit that way. And every once in a while, we get a little bit of power, a little bit of authority ourselves. And it's important to take care that once we're in a position of authority, whether that's president of the chess club or captain of the ping pong team, that we don't become oppressors ourselves. Sometimes we might think, well, now I'm in charge, so it's my turn to lord it over everyone else. Or I paid my dues, so everyone younger than me needs to as well. Couldn't we instead think, how can I do things differently so I'm not the next totalitarian ruler of a resentful kingdom, oblivious to those around me? As the person in charge, how can I make things better for everyone and not just better for me? It's been a pleasure to be part of this hour with you on The Apple Seed where great stories can change your world. We're pleased and proud to be part of the family of BYU Radio programs. And you can find this episode or any episode of The Appleseed on the BYU Radio app or at byuradio.org slash appleseed or by Googling the Appleseed podcast. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again on The Appleseed. Appleseed.